Okay, good afternoon and welcome to the second Footstock Hub podcast. This week I'm joined by Mark White and Jay Fraz, and it's been an exciting week for us with the launch of our website, the partnership with Footstock Stats and the soon-to-be-launched Ultimate Virtual Summer Guide. Make sure to check us out over at footstockhub.com and follow us on Twitter at footstockhub. Finally, please subscribe and leave a review on this podcast. It really does help and helps us start to grow the product. So without further ado, gents, we're going to get on to yesterday's big day for the platform. Firstly, I'm just going to go in terms of I think it went very smoothly and absolutely hats off to the Footstock team because they had a lot to get through yesterday and certainly it went through without any sort of glitches that I found my end. How did you both find yesterday? How did you approach it? Mark, if I come to you first. Yeah, no, completely agree with with what you said there, Callum. I thought uh, it was a big challenge and, and we all know from different platforms, getting the tech right, getting everybody happy is uh, is really challenging. But I know the team put a huge amount of effort into it in the build up to it and uh, it definitely uh, reaped uh, re- rewards. I think everyone uh, got what they wanted. It was all very smooth. I didn't notice any problems whatsoever. Uh, and it's continued into today, I think, in terms of the uh, the emails that are going out. So, uh, yeah, well done, Footstock. Um, uh, seamless and, uh, yeah, really does uh, sort of uh, in, uh, encourage confidence in the platform. Yeah, I mean, just to echo Mark's point, I mean, it was seamless is the right word. I, I was really impressed with communication. But what I liked about it was the um, the build-up for the last sort of week or so up to it was was pitched at the right level. And it was, you know, you feel the excitement building the Slack channels and everyone was ready and talking about the strategies, what they want to do. And yeah, it's brilliant. I mean, everyone had a different idea of what they wanted to get out of it. We saw some huge prices, huge sales going through um, in terms of the sort of the new players popping up sort of 50, 60, 100 pound plus. Um, but yeah, it was great. I, I enjoyed it. Um, I was tired after it, a lot of swapping, et cetera. But uh, yeah, it's all part of the fun, right? Yeah, no, it was. It really, really was a, a fantastic day for the platform. And again, it's another one that's a big day that could have gone wrong. And yet again, it's a big day that they seem to have smashed through, which which really just increases that confidence in the product. So we'll start with the new player packs. It, it's a contentious issue. Some people have found them profitable. Some people have, have really kicked off a fuss. Um, Jay, if I come to you first, have you opened any of the packs? How have they, how have they sort of dealt with you? Have you done well? Have you not done well? Oh, Callum, you know, well, so I, I wasn't planning to open any. I was going to take a step back and just be really rational about it. And as soon as they were there, I saw a message on Slack post. Someone opened a pack and got the best, the dream pack. So straight in, of course, they did. I bought a pack straight away. Got a um, Calvin Phillips, I think it was. And that just spurred me on. So I opened about three or four, but I didn't get anything good. I, you know, Ziek or uh, Ziesh or Werner would have made it, made it worthwhile. But I had, to, I had to take a step back and focus on what I'm good at, which is um, swapping. <laughs> uh, Mark, we come on to you. Did did you open any packs, or did you stay away? Yeah, well, I just opened one. I, I have to say, I mean, thanks to to John Nellis for the uh, the live stream. I won a, a new pack and uh, and uh, got that this morning. So uh, I opened it. It was uh, it was full of Leeds players, which um, yeah, to be honest, I think some of them were quite useful. Hernandez, I think, was in there. I think I got a Phillips uh, and a bit of tournament credit. But yeah, to be honest with you, I think because Brentford didn't come up, that was going to be the big difference. I think with the new packs, wasn't it? There were a lot of good Brentford players in there. Uh, Fulham, a bit less interesting, if I'm honest. Uh, and Leeds, you know, I think they're going to make some good signings over the summer. But yeah, Phillips aside, they haven't got too too much either. So, um, so yeah, a bit, bit disappointing so far. But yeah, I was, I'm sure if I open a Werner, uh, a pack with a Werner or a Zayech, I'll be, I'll be very happy. Yeah, I really feel like it confused me in terms of the market got quite a big drop yesterday in terms of the way that I'm seeing it is potentially people have sold up their old and existing players in the hope of this this new pack situation. Now, when you look at it, it was 
you had a bad pack if you didn't get a Verna, a ZH, or a Ferran Torres. So you pretty much had a three in, I think it's about 120 potentially players, I think, that were on there. And the fact that, again, this is just my opinion, but the fact that the championship teams that have come up, none of those players really excite me in terms of I feel like I need to go out and buy them. Like you said, if it was Brentford, the, the Ben Ramers and the Watkins probably would have enticed me a little bit more. But in terms of the Leeds players and the Fulham players and the West Brom players, I was thinking, actually, in these packs, it's pretty much all or nothing. But yet, it really surprised me that the market took a massive dip and it really did seem like people were going, I need to get rid of all these players because I just want the new Werner and I want the new ZH, even though you can't really use them for four weeks. Um, how do you feel about that, Matt? Do you agree or do you feel like it was other variables that took the market a little bit of a drop yesterday? No, I think you're right, to be honest. I think it's that classic sort of fear of missing out, isn't it? I mean, I think uh, it sounds like uh, Jay, Jay got hit with it in the sense that I think as soon as somebody's got a Werner or as soon as somebody's got a Zayach, then everybody else wants one. Uh, and I think, yeah, the, the initial price, I think it was about 750 quid or something stupid that uh, that appeared on, on the market when, uh, when Zayach first came through. Uh, meant that, um, yeah, basically, I think everyone suddenly started a, a bit of a flurry. Um, I think, you know, to give Footstock credit, it was a bit cunning. I know we'll, we'll talk about ways in which we can be cunning in return, but I think deliberately holding back uh, everyone's new free players until today, I think most of us who were in the uh, Category 4 got our email this morning, meant that yesterday I think people were chasing those new packs a bit more than they would have done if they'd already got one of their Verners or their Zayx or whatever. So, yeah, well, well done, uh, Footstock, there for being a little bit cunning. Uh, but, yeah, um, to be honest, I'm probably just going to sit and wait for a few weeks and uh, try and pick them up a bit cheaper further down the line, I think. So, Jay, did you have to sell any old players to fund these packs or was it kind of just a cash balance waiting or do you feel like it was worth the punt that you took? Oh, Calum, I think my whole um, strategy went out the window about, half past nine by the time it all started. And uh, I didn't sell anyone, but loads of old old um, buy orders went through. So I picked up some really great bargains. I was picking up Pulisic around 23, I think it was. Um, so many three-star players, so many rare players I picked up. Um, I didn't sell anyone, literally. Um, actually, that's not true. I did sell a couple of um, inactive players. I think I sold Quill for about £6 or something. Um, but no, I just, a little opportunity. You know, you, everyone talks about buying the dips, but if you look at it, if you're smart about it and you look at what's actually happening in the market, you can kind of stay one step ahead. And, and that was buying yesterday. So I actually spent more time buying yesterday um, than I did um, anything else. But I think the market bounces back so quickly. I do track most days how the, how my collection value is doing. I know people question the collection value number, but if you look at the trend rather than the number itself, it normally follows a very similar pattern. And you know, Mark talks all about it and knows on how about the selling and, and you know, before, just before the tournament start and buying after, etc. And it's a great strategy to go for. But what I think yesterday happened was, as you talked about, you get caught up in the excitement of like lamps and the slaughter. People just selling their player, the best player, just to try and get a chance to win arguably better players or more new new players. Um, but fundamentally, the bigger picture is they're going to buy them back. They're going to want them back at some point. Um, people weren't buying in preparation to sell forward state. Maybe they were. I don't know, but I wasn't. Um, so I spent no, hoovered up a lot of good players yesterday. I'm very happy. Yeah, the, the way I see the day going is is number one. I've managed to pick up a lot of old players for cheap that I still need in terms of the hundred k free roll next year. I managed to get the Verner as my reward this morning, and I've sold him for eighty pound fully in expectation that I'll be able to buy him back in three weeks when I can actually use him for maybe fifty pound. And number three, Footstock 
is probably they had a big payday yesterday. And whenever the footstock have a big payday, that always means something good for us. So I see it as a win-win all round. Uh, but certainly some people went hell to lever on those packs and, and absolutely opened to shed loads. And for 30 quid, um, footstock must be laughing, let's be honest. So it's an interesting one, and I'm sure it will all come down as the excitement of the new players comes out and become a little bit more popular. So we're going to move on to the main reason why you are both on this podcast in terms of we now know the swaps for tournament credit. Now, it was a busy day for me yesterday. I'll be honest, it it took me a while to individually click each one. And Footstock, if you are listening, we need a swap all for credit button, please. Because when you have got multiples of one player and you know you just want credit for all of them, it takes a long time. So I'm sure you are listening because you have nothing else better to do with your lives put that in please jay i will come to you first what's the tournament credit what did you feel what was your initial reaction when you saw the prices that came out so you're looking at your one stars is 60p your two stars is one pound 50 your three stars is five pound um i actually can't remember the four and five on top of my head i don't have any of those inactives but what was your first reaction when you saw those prices do you know I, I thought two things Callum. i thought the first thing i thought was quite generous um it was higher than i expected and the second thing, which is probably more important, I thought that the market would react well to it um, because, you know, fundamentally they're trying to do two things, which is lock in long-term engagement in the platform. People have tournament credit. They're going to buy more players. They're going to play more tournaments, stay for longer. Um, and secondly, kind of provide an underpinning value to that sort of category as well. I know it's a 30-day thing and it can change, but um, I, I was impressed and I haven't done it myself, but I have. I literally couldn't click the mouse button anymore yesterday because I was trying to swap for players to get new players rather than the credit. That's my plans for the next week or so, but I think it's, it's it's 30 days, wasn't it? So I see how it goes over, over the next few days, but £5 for a three-star? I mean, they did kind of indicate that with sort of the whole heating gate thing about giving £5 for each uh, inactive there. So I'm not really surprised um, by that one, but I think it's really generous. I think it's really good, and I think it shows the intention of, of the Footstock team and, and what they want it to become. Um, they're, you know, they're rewarding the traders, the early adopters, if you like, um, but I think... I was interested to find out who the um, who the winners of uh, Tom's competition about how much how much was actually traded or traded for tournament credit yesterday. Yeah, see, we're recording this at, at half one, so that competition should be announced in about half an hour. So yeah, it will be interesting to see. But my initial reaction was exactly the same. I thought very very generous, again very clever in terms of the tournament pots. I believe next year now that those credits are going to go up. Um, Mark, how do you feel about the whole situation? Yeah, no, I, I agree with both of you, actually. I mean, I think the uh, the, the one star was certainly a lot more generous than, than I was thinking. I think when we, we did the last pod, I think I said, uh, you know, between 50 to 75p, but but I was expecting 50, if I'm honest. Uh, I think 60 is is really helpful uh, because it nudges up the uh, the cash price if people do want to uh, just take the money. But also, as you say, it's um, it's a hefty way. But by making it over 50p, You've then got people when they're going into the tournament who are probably going to pay a pound for a competition because they know they've got 60p for free. So I think I think Footstock have been quite clever there, basically. Um, I think on the uh, two and three stars, I mean, my I, I think 150, to be honest, is is actually a little bit lower than than I'd anticipated. If you look at the inactive market over the last um, couple of months, you've often been able to get two star players uh, for for cash for you know you're paying about two to two pound fifty. And, and there's still quite a few out there that, that are over the £1.50 mark. So um, I think that one, if I'm honest, probably suffered a little bit from a lot of two-star players moving up to three-star uh, and therefore the, um, 
the value of the the two star market going down a little bit when they did their their calculation. But give it another month, there'll be a lot of three star players down at two star again, or a lot of new ones. Uh, and I actually personally thought the two star was a little bit undervalued. So I think for me, I'm not going to be cashing too many of those in for credit. Uh, I'm probably going to be keeping them and, and hoping to get a bit more uh, further down the line. But but that aside, I thought it was very fair. And yeah, given ultimately we, we we're all sort of making a a fair margin on these things, we we can't be too too greedy. So am I right in thinking? So Mark, you're looking at taking credit on one stars, but yet Jay, you're looking at at selling the players to the market to fund other players. Is that right? No, no. So everyone I've swapped, everyone. So I swapped. Um, I checked actually earlier, but it's sad, isn't it? Eight hundred and fifty yesterday, um, and um, no, I'm keeping them all. I'm not selling any of them. So I haven't sold any to fund that yet. Um, what I was thinking was I was looking at selling some of the three stars in the future. But as Mark said, I'm kind of going to play out a little bit longer, see how it goes. Um, but um, no, I mean, I, was, I can't complain about the swaps I got because I think the value, I don't have the exact amount it's worth. Um, it's a bit, a bit of a hard one to compare, but I bought out sort of five Martinelli yesterday out of 850 odd. Um, so a £10 a go is pretty um, respectable return. And then five Harvey Elliott's and, um, and Nico Williams as well and Hannibal Medry. But I think... What I'll do long term, I've got about another five and a half thousand to swap. So it's a bit of a long game um, for me, um, which I didn't think I had that many, but it seems like obviously I was buying a lot of rubbish players over the last six to 12 months. Um, which, yeah, I, yeah, sounds a bit insane, doesn't it? But um, no, I mean, I'm definitely looking to swap as many as I can, build up my tournament credit to a degree, and I probably will sell some, um, but not a high degree, but maybe 10 to 20%. But in terms of swaps, uh, Jay, I. I mean, you two are a lot more adverse and knowledgeable as me. I have found whenever I've done swaps, I'm not getting my value back, which is why I've turned into a little bit of a chicken and I've taken the tournament credit on all of them because I'm not quite ready to take that risk. Um, over time, do you feel like it's been profitable? Of course, now it's a little bit more difficult because even maybe three weeks ago, you could sell your one stars for about 90, your inactives for about 90p or something along those lines. Or so the Robbie Burton's, when that lot changed, it was about 90 odd p, I think I was selling the majority. Now it's down to about 40, 50, and people are still selling for less than the tournament credit, which does show that maybe there's a lot of people that don't play tournaments, or there's a lot of people with a lot of credit already, or there's people that feel like my collection's not quite ready, so I'd rather sell and then invest anywhere else. How do you feel that the swaps is going to be the most profitable for people? Or do you feel like it's a massive individual basis to basis, how people play it? Um, I, I think it's the latter. So um, if I look at, I did I did a couple of, sort of 50, 50 swap tracking just to see roughly what it was worth. And it was about, if I average the price of my um, inactive cards that I bought them at, which is ballpark 15 to 20p plus the nine pence, let's call it 25, 30 pence. Um, cost-wise, then the return is definitely worth it. It's definitely profitable right now based on the underpinned market price of a one-star player. Um, is it better people who are much better in tournaments than me? So I'm sure Mark has a very different approach, but if I was if I was good at tournaments, I'd probably have gone much more heavier into the tournament credit. Um, and that value would have been definitely worth that approach. So it really does depend on the individual and the trading strategy. So I was looking to get, um, to build up my holding of um, the new players, um, so I didn't really want the old one-star players to be on for a while. Um, on the basis that there's obviously less in circulation, um, I saw that um, in the latest communication from Footstock, they said about they would review the new packs, see how many are in circulation, and then tailor it to manage to manage it realistically. So I'm expecting to a degree 
a high percentage of people trading for um for tournament credit i'm expecting a lot of people to rack up a lot of what we call i don't call rubbish players because they collect rubbish players like junk bonds isn't it lower end players um and sell them on for ballpark on a 15 15p 20p so i'll be hoovering them up as well so for me i'd say profitability is a long-term game for this one um short term is it worth it it's not not worth it but there's definitely more profitable ways to work I'd agree with the majority of the things you say. I'd say one thing that I've seen a lot on Twitter is people swapping maybe four players and getting rubbish players and going, oh, swaps are right, rubbish. And you feel, I mean, certainly for me, I feel like it needs to be at least 100 as, as a big sample because there's so many one-star players. If you're going to swap four or five, it is very, very risky. And that's quite a high percentage. Um, Mark, how do you feel like in terms of, the, the swaps for are you going for the credit are you selling are you swapping for new players how are you going to approach that whole situation yeah a bit a bit like jay really i think i'm i'm sort of splitting it between those those three categories so um largely just through through lack of time to be honest yesterday uh i did a few swaps uh and i definitely agree with the tip that you've you've both given there is that i tend to do them in blocks of about 25 um not i don't think that because you know clearly it is random but i tend to think if you do three or four your likelihood of getting one good one is uh is much less. Whereas if you are doing 25 or 50 or 100, you probably are going to get a Martinelli or, or a Harvey Elliott or a Curtis Jones or whomever. So so I think it, it, it does make sense to do them in blocks and take it in the rounds. Um, I think the second thing, and, and Jay's alluded to this, but it's certainly something I'm looking at, is I'm still actually buying um, players who have become inactive uh, because you can still make money out of them. So Prior to them going inactive, I had a sort of fairly hard rule that I never paid more than about 30p for a swap. Uh, and exactly as Jay was just saying there, then, you know, you're almost guaranteed to make some form of profit on those. You can either credit them, sell them or, or swap them and you're, you're, you're going to do all right. Uh, I'm, I've moved that up to about, well, probably shouldn't tell Jay because he'll go 1p higher than me now. But uh, <laughs> I, um, yeah. I've I've moved it up to about 33, 34p because yeah, if I am buying them for credit, then uh, if I'm getting 60p, that's almost uh, almost double my uh, double my return. But yeah, certainly over the next few weeks, I think I will, when I get a bit of time, do some swapping uh, for the reasons that Jay's already mentioned. Uh, I am going to keep topping the credit up, but I think I'm not going to use I'm not going to put it all into credit, partly because I think footstock is sort of nudging us in that direction and i'm always slightly suspicious if anyone is sort of nudging me in the direction of what to do that probably means that uh, you know it's better for them than it is for me um and i'm not going to be selling any as of yet because at the moment the prices are too low uh, i think come still october november time when everyone swapped all their credit and spent it all and everything else i think the prices of the uh the inactives are going to go up again i don't think we'll, we'll hit the 90p days as we did before but i, I think we can certainly get over 60 in uh, in time yeah, I really couldn't believe that I was still buying the players that had just becoming active. Some were still selling for 40p. And in my head, I was thinking, A, am I doing something wrong? Or B, it, yes, it's only 20p that I'm making every time. But if I do that five times, that's one pound. And if I do that 50 times, which is quite, it was easy to do, you could get sort of them in batches of 50. That's sort of 10 pound, which is half a half a pro entry so I'm, I'm thinking in my head i could quite easily use this to pretty much fund a whole game weeks of entries at some stage if i do this enough um which to me again was surprising that maybe people really don't there are some people that don't play tournaments which to me is a surprise because for me that's the usb of the product and the thing that i enjoy the most but it was really interesting but again 
I think that just suits the fact that there are so many different strategies to footstock that everybody can be happy at some stage and everybody tends to try and play it in their own way. Um, but it was certainly a bit in terms of those swap fronts and it will be really interesting to see how many were changed into credit because I do feel like the majority did. I mean, one, one tip I would give, sorry, Callum, what one tip I would give to people who are listening here for, for that very reason is that rather than necessarily always thinking about it in pennies and, and pounds is to think of it in percentages. Because I think if you are getting into to trading, it is much easier to make a 20% return on or a 30% return on an active than it is on a Bruno. Um, and I think, you know, people don't always uh, fully appreciate, I think, how much you know percentages matter if you do enough of them, basically. So uh, yeah, if people are into trading, I think it's it's worth sort of reconfigurating how how you look at the the market sometimes for for that reason. The thing that's stopping me from really selling anyone at the minute is this whole deal of the day situation. Because if I feel like at the minute if I'm going to sell anyone, as soon as they come onto the deal of the day, they're going to be so much more expensive. How do you feel, Jail? Come to you first. Do you feel like that's going to be a big a big option in terms of when a player is coming on to deal of the day, the majority of people are probably going to swap them for the credit. I'm assuming the credit is going to be quite generous, but then there's such a short supply. Do you feel like actually selling any player now is potentially a little bit of a risk in the fact that if you're going to be patient and wait until they become the deal of the day, you are going to make a lot more money. Well, I do now. Um, haven't really thought about it that much in that, in that context, but yeah, I think it'd be interesting to see, and we'll only see that over time what the strategy of footstock is for the deal of the day. Um, I wonder if they'll, they'll look at the circulation, look at what people's trading strategies are, what the tournament balance is. Because, you know, there's only, actually, I don't know how many users there are, a few thousand footstock users maybe. Um, there's not a lot of people out there still. Um, so based on that, it'll be interesting to see what the uptake is. And I think we'll need a, a sample of maybe 10, 20 days to see what they do. But I think there'll be a rush to buy players. I think there are people, as soon as they, as soon as they launch it, people with old sell orders in, they're going to struggle um, because they're going to flood out. Because I got caught yesterday, as you said just now, where I had a load of old sell orders for 45, 50p on some Norwich players, and they went in second as soon as the announcement came up, which I missed uh, by about five minutes. So people are sharp. Um, people are on it. People know how to make it. And Mark, you're absolutely spot on with a percentage focus because if you have that mentality, then you'll make a lot of money because you're oh, only a few p, but think about it as a percentage what you're doing. Um, you make a lot, of, a lot better returns. So deal of state, very exciting. I think it's a great, great um, innovative process of they've, they've brought in. Um, I'm scared to sell now. I was okay just now, Callum. Thanks for that. But now I'm thinking, no, no chance. No chance. <laughs> Sorry, I'm putting things in your head, aren't I? <laughs> yeah, Mark, how, how are you feeling about the whole selling situation? Are you thinking on the same? I could be talking from a completely rubbish him sheet here and feel free to ignore me, but that's the way that I've, I've taken it. But Mark, how do you feel about that whole situation? Yeah, I mean, I think they've, they've not really given us a huge amount still on deal of the day, have they? I mean, my understanding is that they pick somebody randomly, and I'm sure it won't be random, let's be honest, for, for the reasons Joe has talked about. There's, there's clearly market dynamics there. Um, and then I, I think, if I remember correctly, they were looking at sort of offering you between 100% to 200% of, of the person's price. Um, now, you know, a lot for me will depend on who the player is, you know, what team they're in, uh, how likely, uh, how many of them there are, how many I've got. But yeah, I'd be, what, what I'm probably going to do is carry on with the strategy. I mean, Jay alluded to it earlier of sort of junk bonds is the fact that one of the things I do love about footstock is that everybody has, has a value. I mean, I was picking up some Bernardos at Brighton yesterday for 8p that someone had clearly taken a disliking to. Now, 
I, I'm fairly confident at some stage, Bernardo is going to be worth out of a lot more than 8p, uh, even if it's I have to wait six months for, for, for doing it. And, and I think deal of the day does provide that opportunity that, you know, when I see who it is, I'll look at who, how much I paid for them. I'll see how much they are worth now, what the return will be and how likely I am to use them in the future and, and make a decision on that basis. But yeah, for the reasons you both alluded to, I, I, I'm never going to completely sell all of my you know, numbers of whomever the player is, because I think, you know, clearly they will be more valuable the day after deal of the day if there's any any market for them. Yeah, I still feel like if you are have a long-term view on Footstock, I don't think you can go too far wrong. I still think there's very many reactive users on the platform that something new comes out, like we seen with the packs yesterday, and it's, oh, I need to go and do that. Deal of the day comes out, it'll be, well, I need to go and send that. The credit comes out, it needs to be, oh, I need to go and do that. And I still feel like if you've got a long-term vision, and you're actually a little bit smarter with your trades, I still feel like there's a lot of room for, like you said, that percentage growth. Um, However, I didn't take my own advice on the the tournament credit for swaps yesterday. I'll be honest, I went went pretty mad on it. Just on that, on the inactives, is there anyone major that you've still kept that went inactive yesterday? I mean, for me, David Brooks, I've still got 100 um, that I'm quite happy to keep. Wendia, I've still got quite a few of them I'm quite happy to keep. Um, Math, I come to you first. Are there any major ones that you, you're absolutely keeping hold of in the hope for a future transfer back to the Premier League or just for future use? Yeah, there's a few. I mean, I think Nathan Ake is one that, you know, I, I signed sort of, you know, or got quite a few of quite a few uh, a long time ago. And uh, he's steadily risen in value. I've sold a few along the way, uh, but he's now a bit lower now, having gone inactive than he was before. Uh, I'm not going to uh, not going to be selling any more of those now. We, we know he's at City. Uh, you've mentioned uh, there um, a, a couple of others. I mean, I, I think in addition to those you've you've mentioned, I'm, I'm just trying to think now. Uh, Ryan Fraser, I think, is is another one. I mean, I yeah, I mean, two minds on this one. There's strong rumours that he's coming to Palace, which which actually probably means that his price might go down a bit in the uh, in the short term. But uh, yeah, I mean, I'm still holding out a little bit. There's been a few more rumours today that he wants uh, still looking for an Arsenal or a Tottenham move, and that obviously would uh, would mean he'd go up. So yeah, one one to watch continuously. Um, but yeah, aside aside from that, I mean, the way I tend to look at it, I know this sounds horribly. Uh, mercenary but but it's all about their price to be honest i mean i think at the moment if they're if there's a player there uh, jamal lewis is one who's uh, who's up at about 90p a pound um i don't think this liverpool thing's going to happen quickly so i've sold a fair few of him because you know i might as well take 90p for him rather than 60p as a swap so um, lloyd kelly is another one i think his price is over the um over the swap amount so so basically if they're significantly over the swap amount and i think they're overpriced i'll i'll sell them basically but uh, if they're under that swap amount i'll uh, i'll keep them Danny Sobias is one that interests me at the minute. Um, I had 20 yesterday. I've reduced that to five because even though it looks likely he may go back to Arsenal, I feel like he's worth more than £5 at the minute. And in my head, I'm a little bit like, actually, if he goes back to Arsenal, he was what a £2 player, I think, um, before that. So, Jay, have you got any Sobias? How do you feel on that? Um, I have actually. I'm holding. Um, I kept three. Um, I actually sold two this morning or yesterday, about seven pounds, seven fifty. So someone out there is buying them up. Um, but no, I, I completely agree. With you. I think there's a, a mentality or a psychological sort of switch that happens when a player becomes inactive. So I'm holding quite a few. Um, Leroy Sane and Ismaili Assar as well, um, because yeah, I mean they're, they're players who may have a future somehow in the game expansion, whether they may be on the platform. But I just I feel they're worth more than the swapping value I'll get for them and the sale value. Yeah, it's close. Um, I mean, David Brooks having 100 kind of being festive. I mean, I'm holding 20. I thought it was quite a lot. But um, I think he's got a great future ahead of him. And I think he's definitely one to hold on to. 
And I've still got a couple of Christian Eriksons here kicking around, just looking through my list. And then um, Troy Parrott, I think he's got a loan to Millwall, is it? Um, again, only seen him play a couple of times, but he looks like a talented kid. So I think I'll hold on to those as well. Um, but apart from that, I mean, uh, Todd Campbell at Norwich, uh, would he move? Would he not? Is he he's about 250? I think it's not worth a lot. Um, but I think there's definitely, I can't remember who it was, but someone on the Slack channel saying they hold one of everyone. Every inactive player they get hold of, they keep one of just in case. Um, so interesting strategy. Um, but no, for me, I think it, it depends on the value, as, as Mark said, and, and what I think their future, future holders as well. Yeah, it's people like Callum Wilson and, and Ben Godfrey that I find difficult to kind of price up in terms of what to do. So when I'm in doubt, I tend to just do nothing and <laughs> hope for the best that, that that's the right option. We had the, the tier four rewards this morning and we thankfully all hit that, that mark. Jay, I'll come to you first. Who was your selections for your new card player and your promoted player? So I went for um, no surprise, Timo Werner. Um, not just because he's he was the highest price, um, but I, I think I've seen him play so many times for um, Leipzig. I think he's just a really good player. Um, so he was he was a bit of a no-brainer. I did look at Ziyech, but I think based on his price, based on his age, based on his role in the team, I think Werner will be more important. I think he'll be higher value going forward. Um, I went for Matthias Pereira as well on the advice of a very knowledgeable gent who's joining me on this call now um who uh, who i haven't actually hadn't actually looked at until he sort of uh, tipped my way and um yeah again a talented player who i think will do well so and for those two i went for exactly the same players to be nice and boring what about you mac yeah i, I went for exactly the same too i mean similar to jay i had a bit of a dilemma over zayach i mean he was originally my pick but uh yeah sadly again that extra 30 quid plus the fact that all of the hype seems to have been around the uh, around Werner uh, means that I, I went for him. I, I bet Footstop were very happy that Sancho's deal wasn't uh, wasn't done uh, before yeah. the, uh, the choice. That would have uh, probably bankrupted them, I suspect. But uh, yeah, I went for the same. Yeah, I felt a little bit dirty this morning. I, I sold my Werner for £80 in the, the hope to buy him back a lot cheaper. So Footstock, I apologise. I've, I've not held the card and I've sold. But I will buy him back at some stage. Um, Okay, we've got a couple of questions. It's quite well known that you are both lower end sort of the swap strategy kind of people. Um, We've got a question from Mr. White here who says, what is your response when people accuse users of abusing the swap system? When people say swap shouldn't be a strategy using the swap system, do you think the swap system strategy harms the platform? Mark, I'll come to you first. Yeah, I mean, it's 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 a fair question. I mean, I think there's uh, clearly Footstock do feel uh, that uh, that it harms the platform, which is why they've said that they're going to change it. Um, I think they've said that uh, they'll give us some more information later in the year with a view to, I think, implementing that come come January time. Um, but, you know, I, I would argue a bit like, you know, we, we've talked about this before, Callum, but, you know, a bit like Heaton Gate, a bit like the McTominay Challenge, a bit like all these other things that, that people come up with. Um, the bottom line is the fact that it's there. Um, uh, anybody who's been on the platform is able to buy low-end players, even now, uh, as we've been talking about previously, and, and sell them for a higher amount. And uh, for, for me, one of the beauties of Footstock is the fact there are so many different markets within the market, basically. Um, it just so happens, I think, in, in Jay's case and, and my case, that in addition to other elements of the market that I know we both both invest in as well, is that we've spent you know quite a bit of time and effort at the, uh, at the bottom end of the market picking up players uh, 
that we think you know may may go out of contract and uh, or may be transferred and become inactive. And in many ways, there's a, there's a I would argue I would wouldn't I? But there's as much strategy to that as anything else. I mean, I've been hit by a number of players who have signed new contracts. I had something like 120. Uh, uh, of, of some of the young Brighton players uh, that all signed extension contracts for a year. Uh, there's a bloke at Palace, Nicola Tavares, who, much to my irritation, has uh, signed a one-year contract, and I've got about 200 of him. Um, so, yeah, bottom line is it doesn't always work for you, uh, and, you know, there's a cost involved in it. But, no, I think it's it's a perfectly legitimate part of trading. I think Footstock are very generous to uh, to have this swap facility, but that rule was there, and uh, and we've um, we've decided to, to to work in that end of the market. Yeah, you can only play what's in front of you, can't you? That's the way that I yeah. see it anyway. Um, Jay, how do you feel about that? Do you feel like it harms the platform or do you, do you just agree with Mark? It's just a strategy that, that's open there and people can use it. So, I mean, there's some absolutely fascinating insights from the Slack community on this because um, I, I read everything, well, as much as I can on, on the um, on the channels and I see a lot of hostility towards the swap system. So I understand, obviously, that first stock team communicated it isn't intended to be something which is traded for profit, but... Um, personally, I don't see it as an issue. Um, it's just like added additional dimension that the platform kind of offers us. So whether it's an underpinning price, albeit sort of an assumed value, that it allows the active the active trading and a fluid market, and it keeps people interested in a different way that people might not want to sort of trade the traditional ways. So I don't think it harms the platform at all, but I would say that it's um, obviously personally, I think it's a trading strategy, and I undertake it. So. I don't see it as damaging personally, but I, I know I understand. I hear people's points about it, and I think a lot of people who don't trade it don't like it. But I never traded players for roulette, for example, who those were good at roulette, and people said that's a great strategy to buy your threads at four or five pounds because it'll soon be twenty pounds, which he was. But again, I don't think it harmed the platform. I think it's just a different dimension that long people are aware of it, and it's just a different way to to trade. Yeah, I completely agree. My my only big thing that I don't like is the buy 200 rewards and then sell them straight away. That's the my one big thing that I don't like on the platform. But again, it's in front of people and everyone is completely welcome to play it however they would like. Um, Noli has asked, with Footstock apparently looking to close off swaps as an avenue for profit, what is your plan for the future? Any new strategies you can share at this juncture or are you still going to go along that way? Jay, we'll start with you this time. So I think the key word here is profit. Um, so I, I only buy players regardless of their future status to make a profit on, so to sell for greater value. So if I've been buying for 10p and that player leaves the club and goes inactive, then of course it'd be profitable for me to sell them on. But not only does the swap system give Footstock an income stream for swap players, it also keeps prices from spiraling out of control, um, working in parallel with obviously with packs to bring new players on the platform. Um, I mean, the tournament credit swap is now given that, that mechanic um, to remove players as well. So it's a great addition um, and it's a very generous level as we spoke about before. But as for new strategies, well, personally, I'm always looking um, and monitoring and reviewing my approach um, and take quite a fluid approach to tactics used. Um, so currently I'm focused on undervalued key players, which I've been picking up very cheap now over the last couple, well, yesterday and today. Um, and, and looking to build that 100K free roll um, team or that sort of arsenal, if you like, of uh, of, of good mid-level players um, but I think versatility is critical here whilst trading on Footstock because you know we are in the very early stages of this company still and they've come a long way in, in the last 12, 14, 15 months um, but I'm sure there'll be lots more changes in the next 12 months and so I need to keep evolving to adapt to what's happening um, so my strategy I, I run about this, I would say four or five different strategies in parallel and I, 
I keep trying to evolve with them, at least with the market, if not one step ahead where I can. Yeah, my issue is I can't settle on the strategy and I think <laughs> I need to do that at some stage. I, I feel like I've got something that I like and then something else pops up and uh, yeah, I'm a bit all over the place, but I'm, I'm hoping to trim my collection the next four weeks. That's certainly my my plan. Um, Mark, how do you feel on that question in terms of are you still going to go ahead with that strategy or do you feel like you may need to adapt? Yeah, I mean, I think there might be a, a little bit of tweaking, but you know, I mean, Jay's, I think, covered it really well. I mean, ultimately, it's it's about looking for value, isn't it? And value uh, exists in many different forms at many different times. I think that's one of the beauties of of, of footstock. So, I mean, I still think, if I'm honest, I, I, I'm probably still going to sort of migrate towards the uh, the, the bottom end of the uh, the footstock sort of ladder uh, for for a couple of reasons, really. I mean, number one, back to, to what I said earlier, the if you play the percentages, there are a lot of players out there who are unfashionable at the moment, but whose time will come in the future, either because they're young or because, I mean, a classic example, last night's Man United game, uh, I sold a load of Jesse Lingard's and um, uh, uh, Timothy Fusimensis yesterday by virtue of the fact that they were in demand for probably only about 45 minutes and now won't be again uh, for a while. But, um, you know, in that period of time, people, Daniel James was another one, people, people are happy to pay, pay the money. So, I think for me, a strategy is uh, is looking at what their price is, looking at which team they play for, looking at when or if they might have an opportunity to to shine, uh, and then just being patient as much as anything. I mean, again, we talked about this earlier in the the uh, the chat, didn't it? But um, but sometimes I think just just biding your time and uh, trying to find the right moment to sell and then taking full advantage of that is uh, is is the way to go. So yeah, I mean, I think all of those principles will remain part of my trading. I, I may buy a few less players uh, with a deliberate intent to swap them, but I'm sure I'll be able to do something else with them if uh, if they're a low enough price to make them worthwhile. Yeah, Dan James really makes me sad. I've, I've bought quite a lot of Dan James sort of near the start of the season thinking, yeah, he looks great. Isn't he a terrible football player? If he didn't have pace, he would literally be nothing. I watched him last night and honestly, he's bad. So I still hold about 60 and that is probably one of my worst trades today. And I'm going to wait until Footstop treat me and stick him in deal of the day and then he will be all gone. <laughs> um, okay, we've got a question on Twitter. Mark, this one's directed to you. Um, it's been a little bit of a... We've had a lot of messages about this in terms of the blog, the uh, the virtual guide, top tips. So if you head over to footstockhub.com, Mark's blog is on there about that. And it will also be in the virtual ultimate summer guide, which is very on track to hopefully be released before this podcast is released. So it should be out by the time that this is out there. It says, uh, it's from FF Steve H. In Mark's blog, he talks about the impact that formation has on performance in virtuals. Why does one formation have an advantage over another? And is there any evidence of home field advantage in virtuals? Yeah, this is, is a difficult one, isn't it? I mean, I, I've been accused on, on a few platforms of, of overthinking this uh, uh, recently. So for, for those of you who've, uh, who've done that, then, then I can only apologise. I mean, the thing I've noticed basically is that um, two things since the virtuals have started again. I think thing number one is that formations do seem to be making much more of a difference than they did before. Now, I don't know why I didn't design the uh, the sort of uh, the virtual engine. You'd have to ask Oliver about that one. But you know, it, it does make sense, doesn't it? In the sense that, you know, if if it, if there wasn't anything, you know, to do with either the team that plays or the formation that they play, then it would be very straightforward every week, effectively, the team with the best PPG would would win. Um, so anyway, two, two things I've noticed, basically, is that uh, the uh, the formations do, as I've said, seem to, to make a difference. And um, the invariably, you know, if a team is strong and it's playing 4-4-2, then, then often it will be 
beat a weaker side that's that's playing at a, a, a four five one uh five three two from what i've seen so far and i haven't you know looked at this sort of completely uh fundamentally but but from what i've seen five three two does seem to be losing a fair amount so i think there's been a few sides that have played five three two now and haven't won uh but but please do your own research um on on the home thing though yes it, it seems to me from what i've noticed that if you've got two teams playing the same formation uh with roughly the same ppg home advantage does seem to make a difference and i think that uh explained for example why brighton beat arsenal the other week and everyone got very upset about that if i remember correctly um so yeah i mean my my tip to people is that i think footstock deliberately try and pick games that are as close as possible together if there's a game that it, where it looks like one team is so obviously better than the other one uh, you know you're heckles have got to raise and i think you've got to be a bit suspicious about that and think quite carefully about you know are they home are they away what formation are the other side playing um because yeah it's not in their interest to have liverpool winning five nil every week or, or man united or whomever um and then as i've said i think the um the second bit of it is yeah looking looking at who's home who's away and, and probably sorry the final thing would just be are there any key players that normally play in that team who've been taken out because the other thing I've noticed is that, you know, Arsenal without an Aubameyang or Pepe or, you know, Spurs without a Son or a Bergwin, for example, do seem to do a bit worse in virtuals than uh, than if they do play. But as I said, that might be me overthinking it. And uh, yeah, it's a, it's a theory like any other one out there. Oliver's the only one with the answers, I think, on this one. I have to say my, my favourite thing about the virtuals at the minute is the absolute paddy and strops some people throw when a result doesn't go their way. It really makes me laugh as if it's like we're a bunch of 10-year-old boys that have just lost on the playground at lunchtime. It's like, get over yourselves. Sometimes football happens. Watford beat Liverpool 3-0. It happens. So, yeah, that does make me laugh, I'll be honest. But, um, yeah, thank you for asking that question. The final one we have got um, is on Slack. And the question is, who is your best one-star option for the coming 100k free roll and potential increase? That is from Sean Thorpe. Um, I'll start on a bit of a bit of an out there one. Um, as a Spurs fan, I'm hoping next year is the year for Tangai and Dombele. He's still a one-star. It could be completely wrong. He could not play. He could leave in the summer. He could get injured. He could still be the lazy French man that he looks at the minute. But he's got a lot of quality and he's someone that could be a little bit of a left-field choice, as it looks like, with Hoiberg coming in, which hopefully should be done soon. He may be played in that number 10 role. Um, so he is my big one-star option. But please do your own research. That could go horrendously wrong. <laughs> um, Jay, I'll come to you first. Who's your one-star option for next year? Oh, do you know, well, I'm not really good at tournaments, so I'm probably not a good person to ask. But I've got three players who stand out for me um, that I'll be including. So Martinelli, um, I think, obviously, he's out injured at the moment, but I think he's got huge ability and needing to only uh, sort of perform well in a few game weeks. I think he's got definitely a good chance of it. Um, but ahead of him, I'll probably say someone like maybe Ruben Loftus-Cheek um, or Sebastian Haller, because um, Musa Jimpo looked really good when he started, but he hasn't... Uh, sort of picked up again. I think he sort of dropped off around sort of Jan Feb time. I'm not sure if he's injured or not. Um but I'd probably say one of those I'll put four out there. So then I might get one right, you never know. Yeah, no, very good selections. Mark, how about you? Yeah, I I'm sort of agonizing with this one as well at the moment because there's a lot of people sort of moving moving up and down again, aren't they? I mean I I really like I mean building on, on Joe Southampton options there. I think Michael Obafemi I think is is one that if he gets a run in the team, I think could do do very well. I mean Shane Long's getting getting on a bit now, isn't he? He's about thirty four, I think. 
uh, Southampton do seem to recognise that particularly uh, uh, against sort of lesser teams now, they do need to play two up front when they're at home. Their home form's been really poor. And uh, Oberfemi, I just I just really like him as a player. I think he's uh, he's got, got the full package there. And uh, if he gets a run in the team, I think he could score some goals. Um, so, yeah, definitely. I mean, I think if you're going to go for well, a wider tip, going for a one-star in the, the 100k, I think it's got to either be a forward uh, or potentially a goalkeeper, I think. I think probably having one-stars in as defenders or midfielders then they're either not going to play very much or um, or they're just going to be unreliable, I think. So, yeah, I'd, I'd go for a forward or a goalkeeper and uh, Oberfemi, I think, is a good good option for me. Yeah, there are certainly lots of good one-star options out there. Gents, thank you very much. I mentioned last week that I had some very exciting guests on this week. And even though you are both very exciting, that has been delayed by one week. Um, I'm going to say this now, and if it doesn't go ahead, I can edit this out. But next week, we are going to be joined by the head of product, Tom Mitchum, and the chief marketing officer, James Copeland. So we are going to put out a few messages. Um, we want as many questions as possible, and it's going to be, they will answer your questions. And it's it's something that's quite unique in terms of we don't normally get that opportunity. So keep your eye out on Twitter, because I'm also planning to do a little bit of a competition um, just to encourage those questions coming in. And please make sure like i said at the start to leave a review follow like all of the podcast stuff that you can do these days and we will join you next week